Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Today's title sponsor is brought to you by a local Winnipeg indie startup, Your Story Transmedia, who publish indie comic books, graphic novels, and video games. You can check them out at yourstory.ca to purchase any of their ebooks or their limited edition high-quality first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine-style comics, and when you do, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, I thought I would kind of take a break from the Jets and talk a little bit about some of the other stuff that's been going on with the play-in rounds, because this has been a frankly absurd and ridiculous playoff series especially for a lot of the teams that are kind of on the fringes. Obviously, a lot of us, especially Jets fans, probably aren't really caring about anything other than next Monday, but we can't really think about the draft lotto yet because there's still actual hockey to go through, not for Winnipeg, uh, but certainly for all of these other play-in teams, and we really want to pay attention to see what happens because Winnipeg's draft position continues to improve, especially as more and more teams kind of finish out their their play-in series results. Right now, the Jets can draft as high as ninth overall or first overall if they win the lottery, but ninth overall if not. And a top 10 pick for this franchise, especially where the Jets are, would be amazing, let me tell you. But before we talk about prospects, I thought I would cover some of the playoff series, and we'll start off with the Pittsburgh-Montreal series, which was just an absolutely crazy series. I don't think anyone expected the outcome. And wow, I I don't really think that anyone saw this particular result happening where Montreal advanced uh, three games to one. And the way that they did it was particularly impressive. I feel like Pittsburgh, for the most part, was very good throughout almost the entire series. In fact, I, I think that the Pens really deserved to win some of the games that they lost. But it came down to details that the Penguins could not quite clarify. And some of those details included putting Jack Johnson out, you know, for quite a few shifts some missed opportunities for their top six players, uh, a lack of offensive production, even though they were getting a lot of great scoring chances. They just could not solve Carey Price and the Montreal defense, despite the fact that the openings were there. Carey Price, for his part, was outstanding. I would say that he was probably the series MVP just because he was able to keep that Habs team competitive throughout every game, and I felt like Pittsburgh really did all it could to try and crack his, well, really his, uh, iron grip defense, but it just could not break him. And when Pittsburgh did score, you know, the the Habs would have a response not too long after because the Pens would trot out Jack Johnson and his defensive pairing, and Montreal was able to take advantage of Johnson's lack of defensive awareness and positioning to great effect. Every time that pairing was on the ice, Pittsburgh immediately had to retreat into a defensive shell, and usually they, you know, surrendered quite a few scoring chances, and in Johnson's particular case, quite a few goals against. In today's game, they just started to fall a bit flat as the game wore on. I think the first goal, I don't quite remember who scored it. Oh, it was actually Arturi Lekkonen. Uh, again, up the fins if you haven't up the fins yet for some reason, even though most of you are Jets fans. Yeah, you gotta love the Finnish players. They're always highly skilled. And this one was a really nice setup between Lekkonen and Byron. I think today's game was, was scoreless for almost the entire duration of the event until the final five minutes when Pittsburgh had a bit of issue handling Montreal's pressure. The Habs were starting to surge with quite a few offensive rushes, and some of those counters were starting to get to the Pens' defenders. Pittsburgh looked like it was under pressure, like it couldn't maintain defensive zone posture, and eventually there was a bit of a kerfuffle around the net where I think uh, Paul Byron found himself 
drawing a lot of attention to the right of Tristan Jari, who was replacing Matt Murray in net tonight. And Paul Byron, though he doesn't exactly have like the world's highest end skill set, has very good passing and distribution in tight spaces. And, you know, all of these Penns defenders and skaters were kind of climbing over each other. And Byron managed to maintain his cool, you know, fake a shot and then find Lekkonen coming in on the seam. It really was just an empty net on the backdoor pass, but still a really tight lane just because there was so much chaos inside the crease. The Habs went up and it was a lead they wouldn't relinquish because they held on to complete a shutout, which I believe was Carey Price's 10th career playoff shutout or something like that. The shot clock is going to look not great, but Pittsburgh had quite a few really good chances and I feel like Price definitely was tested a number of times. Not quite as much as he was tested earlier in the series, but definitely not an easy outing for him either. Shea Weber ended up banking one off the wall towards the end of the game, especially with the net empty and scored a, a bit of a fluky goal, but Montreal will certainly take it. My general thought about this team is like I don't really know what to make of the Habs because like I look at Montreal's roster and I feel like there's going to be an issue if they come up against a top team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And yet, they came against a top team like the Pens, found a matchup that they were able to exploit, and really just kind of gritted out and grinded out a win. The Habs don't really have a high-end assortment of talent. I mean, they've got plenty of good, skilled skaters, but not that many players that you would point at and say, this is your clear number one. They're not built like Carolina, which has... You know, Svechnikov, Aho, Dougie Hamilton. Montreal gets by with more uh, goal scoring by committee, similar to how Nashville used to do it, but I think Montreal has a very up-tempo game and they're a lot more creative offensively with their forwards. It was definitely a really tough outing for them tonight, and I feel like, generally speaking, it was it was certainly a test to face the Pens and ultimately eliminate them, but you have to really respect the effort that they put out. I think that they played a very good, sound game. They limited the shot clock Uh, Certainly a lot more than they did in the previous matches. And overall, I just think that the Habs put up a a tremendous fight. They showed that they really don't care what people have to think about them. Carey Price was sterling in net. And uh, they are a legitimate playoff threat, especially if Carey Price holds his current form and they're able to capitalize on the few opportunities that they may have to uh, kind of scrap for. The Pens might be in some degree of trouble just because I feel like this was a roster that was good enough to win the Cup this year, and Mike Sullivan just over-relied on a couple of players who ultimately let him down. Those few tactical blind spots kind of killed the Pens, and I really feel like going forward that's going to be a bit of a sticking point if they can't get away from a pairing that includes Jack Johnson and some of their lesser depth forwards. I know that Matt Murray was not great, but you know you kind of look at that fourth line, you look at the, uh, the bottom pairing, and you see that Sometimes they got matched up together on the ice at the same time, and it just wasn't good enough. You know, Montreal's scoring, half of it can't come when Jack Johnson is on the ice. There's definitely a clear trend there, and it's not exactly something that's a coincidence. But by the same token, they also have 12.5% odds of drafting Lafreniere to replace one of Malkin or Crosby down the road, because let's be honest, those guys are entering the twilights of their careers. Even though Pittsburgh is definitely in trouble for losing... You know, you, you kind of get rewarded for losing in this case because you have a shot at one of the best talents this class has ever seen. I suppose you really can't complain either way, if you, especially if you're a Pens fan. You were going to win somehow no matter what happened. In just a little bit, we'll talk about uh, a couple of other series, including the Nashville-Arizona series, where there was a little bit less winning for one of our most hated Central Division rivals. But before we get there, I wanted to draw us back a little bit back towards Winnipeg and back to home for a lot of you listeners. If any of you were like me when I was a kid, I grew up with a lot of comic books and video games. And growing up in Baltimore, especially as a gamer, there were a lot of local game companies that I could support and patronize. If you're like me and you enjoy your comics and games with something of a bit of a local flavor, then you should check out Your Story Transmedia. 
Your Story is a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and game publisher based in the Winnipeg area. They're currently launching a line of comic books with their flagship comic, The River Knows, which I actually had the pleasure of checking out recently. It's got a bit of like a Sin City meets X-Files vibe, which I'm very much down with. It has some spooky sci-fi, mystery, and supernatural elements that make it a bit more of a unique storyline and experience, and it's also set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. If you want to check it out, it's available in both ebook and limited edition print versions. Your Story will also be launching one of their first games, a new fun-for-all-ages game called Alien Machine Glow. Obviously, for all of you sci-fi fans, Your Story definitely has your back. Visit their store at yourstory.ca to purchase any of their ebooks or their limited-edition, high-quality first printing run of their 85 by 11 magazine-style comics. Use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Moving on in our playoff coverage, I'm sure you would love to hear about the Nashville Predators who have once again disappointed as they always seem to do. I of course am being a bit facetious because the Preds usually have something of a reputation for being a difficult playoff opponent, but I think we all know that deep down the Preds haven't been quite as good as they used to be. Nashville has tried to solve their scoring output woes by signing Matt Duchesne and stuff, but it just really hasn't panned out. In this closer-than-it-looks series against the Arizona Coyotes, I felt like Nashville was playing like they always do, which is to generate a lot of great shots, uh, get into some decent areas, and ultimately activate from their blue line. But the thing that really has plagued them and continues to plague them is the fact that they just don't have many elite high-end scoring forwards. Ultimately, no matter what, you need guys who can make that final bit of difference and finish those chances that you create, which is just not something the Preds really have right now. For many years, they were always committed to generating offense through the back end, and, you know, it's just one of those situations where I think from the start, their offensive philosophy was a bit more flawed because it just doesn't seem like it's sustainable long-term, especially if you're trying to generate offense from your blue line and that being your primary goal-scoring motive. It's not like Nashville's approach to goal-scoring by committee from their forwards was necessarily doomed to fail from the start. But the problem is is that they just don't have enough depth forwards who are capable of consistently scoring. And, you know, you you need more guys like Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, Ryan Johansson when he's actually playing well. And the Preds don't really have that kind of top-end elite scoring talent. They've got like two or three guys who can handle those roles, and the rest are pretty mediocre. Honestly, they're not that different from where the Jets are at this point. Even more surprising throughout the series, though, was the fact that their much-vaunted goaltending duo of Pekarine and Yusuf Saros really struggled. Saros has had a bit of an up-and-down season this year, and he just was not particularly great throughout this playoffs. I don't know if Rene really played more than, like, one or two games, but Rene also got pulled, I believe, and it's just like, wow. Rene's getting up there in years, and his performances over the past couple of seasons have been a little bit chaotic, so to speak, but we, we all know that at his best he can be very hard to break, and uh, you would hope that he would do that in a short playoff series, but that didn't really occur this time. And the guy who was supposed to replace him long-term, uh, you know, Yusuf Saros, was really struggling as well. And what you got was the Preds creating lots of chances, not really scoring that many goals, and then conceding a bunch on some not-so-great goaltending and really good shots from guys like Connor Garland. I think that there was a Jordan Esterly goal somewhere. I mean, just a little bit of an odd mixture of goal scorers for Arizona, but it ultimately worked. Taylor Hall also factored in on the scoring, if I can recall correctly. So, you know, Arizona, another goals by committee approach, but they also got some really timely contributions from players like Michael Grabner, who was able to, I think, score a shorthanded goal at one point earlier in the series. It can be incredibly frustrating and demoralizing to have a dominant run of even strength play, not score, and then concede in like a, a stupid fashion on the power play to someone like Michael Grabner. You know, a lot of guys would say, yeah, that's Grabner's main strength and skill set. 
but you know as an organized power play and really professional hockey players shorthanded goals are always one of those things that just kind of stick out to you as being a significant problem and something that you feel is a bit of an embarrassment I don't think Nashville should really feel embarrassed by their effort. I just feel like it shows that they have so many limitations to where their roster is right now. And the Yotes, for their part, also have some serious issues. I feel like Arizona was nowhere near as good as it looked. You know, certainly those score lines I think were very flattering, even more so than the ones that were in the Jets and Flames series, especially early in that run. Darcy Kemper had to be on his absolute top game for Arizona, and for the most part he was. He only had a one or two bad games, I felt, and even then Arizona, for the most part, was able to get the dubs. So, you know, it didn't really cost him too many games. I think they only lost one in the series. You can definitely tell that Nashville's goaltending was a real Achilles heel for their squad. It's not like they gave up like a tremendous amount of shots, but unfortunately just a few too many of them found their way past uh, both Yusuceros and Pecorino. Long term in the future, I don't really know what the Preds are going to do because, you know, now they're staring at 12.5% odds for Alexis Lafreniere, which is somebody that they could really use, but they could also use somebody like Kyle Connor. I feel like his particular finishing and skill set are one of the key aspects of their team that they just don't have. They also really need to figure out if Ailey Tolvanen is going to be an NHL caliber player. They've got some good prospects like Patrick Harper, David Ferentz, Dante Fabro, uh, etc., kind of waiting in the wings or slowly stepping into NHL roles, especially this year and beyond. But it's pretty obvious that at this stage, I, I think the Preds are kind of done as cup contenders. They're sort of stuck where Winnipeg is in being good enough to make the postseason, possibly on some fluky play or maybe some really strong goaltending, but not enough to actually make any particular noise unless they got really fortunate in a playoff series. So, yeah, Nashville's kind of in trouble. So is Winnipeg. And I think, you know, I think... Generally speaking, the Jets are going to be able to draft their way out of these situations, but Nashville is going to need to figure out where they can get goal scoring from because where the Jets have actual goal scoring, they don't have a whole lot of play-driving ability. Where Nashville has lots of play-driving ability, they just don't have that much goal scoring. Oddly complementary teams when you think about it, and neither is going to be a great situation going forward for either squad. Wrapping up our playoff analysis, at least for the time being, because we'll have some more stuff uh, either th later this weekend or probably the start of next week. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit about the Chicago-Edmonton series, which ended up with Chicago beating the Oilers. If you want to talk about teams that are really in trouble, I, I have to think that Edmonton's lack of playoff success just speaks volumes as to where that organization is at this point. The fact that the Chicago Blackhawks, which frankly were more of a lotto team than they were a playoff squad were able to basically grease through them has to be a very disconcerting sign for a team that has literally the best player in the NHL and not a whole lot else after that Leon Dreisaitl is a very elite playmaker and scorer but he really can't carry the weight along with McDavid over the rest of the guys who aren't pulling their own there are certainly some talented young players like Ethan Bear and Kyler Yamamoto, but past that, you just look at that roster and you really wonder what exactly Edmonton is doing and what their long-term vision for success is. They mishandled Yesapuya Yarvi, uh, they've lost Taylor Hall, they've got an aging blue line that's kind of centered around Adam Larson and Chris Russell, plus Oscar Clefbaum when he's healthy, and uh, long-term probably... I think his name is Bouchard, Evan Bouchard, I want to say. But there's just not much really good depth past that. And I feel like Chicago's style really exposed how defensively weak and ultimately just generally weak the Edmonton Oilers are. Like, they can score goals, but they concede a lot from, you know, poor goaltending, poor defense. Ugh, just a real mess of a team. 
Chicago snuffing him out early in this playoff series is pretty funny. I mean, you could imagine a lot of weird results coming out of a short series, especially for two teams that weren't supposed to be in the playoffs to begin with. But it is something else to see it happen to the Oilers with Connor McDavid in tow. They're really wasting his best years, and I kind of wonder how long that can continue before he eventually loses his patience. Speaking of patience that ran out, the uh, Florida Panthers ended up losing pretty convincingly to the New York Islanders. I don't think that series was ever particularly close despite the score lines. Yeah, I mean, the Panthers are just an absolute mess. I mean, they're mismanaged from the top down. Everything's terrible. They're in a lot of trouble. Their long-term prospects aren't great. Their coaching has not been as good as they'd hoped. Uh, Not a great situation if you're a Panthers fan. Uh, But I guess enough was enough because they fired Dale Talon uh, which was, I, I thought, very surprising. I knew that he had to go at some point, but I just felt like Panthers' ownership had, I, I don't know, put a lot of faith in him for some reason. Dale Talon, for me, has never been a particularly good GM, and I feel like Vegas should have gotten him fired long ago. But they stuck with him. They kept, I guess, all of their chips in the bag with him, and I don't really understand why, but maybe they thought that familiarity was going to be fine. Either way, it's pretty much paid out exactly as you'd expect Talon publicly feuded with his analytics department. You know, the team's drafting was pretty decent, but a lot of those guys may not be around for much longer. I mean, this team was mismanaged from the ground up, and their core of players kind of got ravaged by trades and stuff, and the whole Vegas expansion taking Smith and Marcheseau. It's just a really ugly situation for the Panthers to give up so much talent in such a short amount of time and replace them with not much at all. And now they've signed Sergei Bobrovsky for who knows how long, forever, basically. And that deal is already aging poorly, generally speaking. I I think that Bobrovsky was fine in this playoff series, but overall, he's just a huge cap hit. He's old, he's injury-prone, and even though he can be very good at times, his overall performance for the Panthers has not been particularly spectacular. So everything's fine. They're doing great. They fired their GM after losing a major important playoff series, so I guess the Panthers are on the up-and-up. From their perspective, it can't get much worse, right? Although I say that and I probably just jinx the Panthers. I'm going to keep tonight's episode a little bit short and kind of end it off here because we still have some playoff series that have not yet resolved themselves, namely Vancouver, Minnesota, and Columbus, Toronto, which Columbus, Toronto, that's going to be a fun one to discuss. But you'll have to wait to hear about that in just a little bit. Thank you so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Avampato. Have a great night and go Jets go.